Welcome to the Inspired Women Podcast. I'm your host, Megan Hall, motivational speaker, women's empowerment coach, full-time psychology student, mama four, and military spouse. On this podcast, I share helpful life tips and real stories from inspirational women. Warning, sometimes we chat about taboo topics and drop some F-bombs. Thank you for tuning in with me today. Enjoy the episode. Hey guys, today I'm here with Heather. Heather Udara Roman is a blue Udara Designs which she does amazing things. You guys have to check her out on Facebook. She actually made my birthday t-shirt. I said birthday bitch on it. It was really cool. Uh, She is a wife, toddler mom with one in the oven. Congratulations again. Small business owner and master's candidate with a full-time career in healthcare. Her motivation stems from a continual need to empower and give back to those who face adversity and other challenges. She was a volunteer and mentor for homeless children and decided to further pursue her healthcare career to help direct changes. Blue Udara Designs started as a mosaic and vinyl craft hobby that started to become profitable. More recently, Heather's piece, Polaris, a life-size mosaic bust, was featured at the Chrysler Museum of Art that explores the duality of female form in mirrors and cobalt blue glass. It's actually really beautiful. I've seen pictures. I have not yet to go see it in person school is not my friend and sucks my time and my soul sometimes. Uh, So I will go see it, but it's beautiful. I've seen all the pictures. Um, Heather likes to work with nonprofits like the Samaritan house and create fundraiser t-shirts for other causes. And Heather was actually the reason that um, I, I knew about Samaritan house, but I got connected with their thing in October, the fundraiser and awareness and everything. Apparently I went a little too overboard with that. Cause people were like doing every Friday on a different type of abuse was a little overkill. And that was audience feedback. I'm like, Oh, okay. Glad I know that. Yes. Next time. I'm sure maybe one episode would be sufficient, <laughs> but Heather, thank you for being on the podcast today. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. So Heather, when you applied to be on the podcast, you mentioned that you had this period of time where you had a rocky relationship with your brother. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Maybe take us back to the beginning, how it started, what happened? Uh, Because I know some people listening might be like, I don't have the best relationship with my sibling or siblings either. Um, I'm glad I'm not alone in this, you know? So tell us about it. Well, um, so if you want to go back to the beginning, my brother and I really didn't have a good relationship. Some of that was sibling rivalry, you know, little brother, big sister, the normal stuff. But it took a long time for us to realize that a large portion of that had nothing to do with us. It was actually directed, whether it was conscious or unconscious, from our family. Mm-hmm. Um, I, My parents were married. Um, they actually recently got divorced, I'd say maybe in the last eight, six years. They were definitely together, but they weren't the best influence for us. They were definitely very codependent and enabling. There was some abuse, what we would call abuse now. Back then it wasn't abuse. Right. Um, The, you know, late eighties, early nineties. So they kind of pitted us against each other. Mm -hmm. Um, It wasn't the best experience growing up, but we didn't know any different. So, and they may have been doing the best they could with the tools that they had, um, but now that I'm older and wiser, I definitely right. think there was room for improvement. So my brother and I didn't, did not get along. We have about four years difference between us. So at one, you know, at one point I went off to college and that kind of made me the black sheep of most of the family. Cause I was first in college. Right. So, um, 
So I was, you know, going off to college, being, making something of myself, but at the same time, uh, it was also looked, it wasn't necessarily looked down upon, but oh, I was like, oh, I'm special, I'm going to college. And I was able to get a full scholarship because otherwise I would not have been able to go to college for my bachelor's. We did, never even saved any money for that. But um, so I went to college. I got married really young with my first um, marriage. Um, I wouldn't say it necessarily was a mistake because um, I learned a lot and it was what I thought I wanted at the time. But after about 16 months of marriage, it was not what I wanted and it was not where I was going with my life. And there were some domestic issues that I didn't also didn't know until after the fact. Apparently, I'm a slow learner of my personal life, but I'm really good with books. So. No, I'm <laughs> the same way. Like you're like you look back and you're like, oh wow, I didn't realize <laughs> that's what I was going through at the time. Shit. Yeah. Yeah, yes, definitely. So I reached out to my brother when I was going to separate from my ex-husband. Um, in Florida, there's no waiting period to get divorced, which is good and bad at the same time. Um, <laughs> so we were about to be separated. And, my, and of all people, my brother showed up on my front doorstep. So I was, um, I think I was 24-ish at the time, 25. And I think... At that time, I, I never would have guessed that it was him. And he showed up with a coworker. They brought their work truck down. I sat in the middle seat, basically, <laughs> of, this, uh, of this manual transmission truck. And we drove up to North Carolina from Central Florida. And we had a lot of time to reconnect and really talk about and iron some of the shit out that we went through and figure out, like, why, why do we have this relationship? Why is it the way it is? What caused it? And who are we, really? Because we didn't know anything about each other. It was almost like I lived with a roommate <laughs> for all of my life. And we started learning about each other, realized we had a lot in common and that um, a lot of it was from how we were raised. And we didn't see that it was the right way to raise or treat children. So we connected on that, which obviously to anybody else listening who doesn't have the situation, you're probably thinking, well, duh, you get along because of how you were raised. But in this case, it was the negative experience that brought us mm -hmm. together. Mm-hmm. Um, and since then, um, you know, he helped me out. He came down. He helped me move um, into my apartment, which was very hard to get when you have a mortgage in your name and now all of a sudden you're a single income and <laughs> you haven't shaken the mortgage. It's hard to get, a, you know, a rental. Um, so he helped me out with so much uh, emotionally, physically, you know, with the moving and the just being there and being supportive. And we've been super close since then. Like we call each other all the time. He just got married. <laughs> So like the most amazing person ever, Shelby. So shout out to her if she ever listens to this. Um, <laughs> yeah. But over the years since then, so I'm 32, I think. I think I'm turning 33 next year. <laughs> um, <laughs> I feel like that too. Yeah, I'm 32 so, too. So. <laughs> so it's been crazy to look back at that time and go, oh my gosh, that's where I was in my life. That's what I was doing. You know, we traveled together after that. Um, he actually had some work in Hawaii for a year. So I got to go out to Hawaii for a couple of weeks and oh, cool. visit him. Yeah. So it was almost like we got to rediscover a sibling relationship we never had. And it made it so much stronger. And I'm so fortunate he's in my life. Yeah. I mean, I, I went through a period with my sister where we were enemies. We were not friends. Like we, I mean, we, it was bad. And I really regret that, but now we're as close as we could possibly be. And it had a lot, you know, on my end, it had a lot to do with how we were treated as children and how we were compared 
Like growing up, I was the smart one. Anna was the artistic one. Anna could get like D's and C's and Megan always had to get A's because if she got less than A's, she'd get yelled at. So there's a lot of like not us being treated equally. And we had some of not physical abuse, but emotional and verbal abuse. Like you're saying, like that was not considered abuse back in like the eighties and nineties. Like that was just, I mean, at least in my household, that was just normal. So when I experienced it the first time in my abusive relationship, I didn't know that that was wrong. So can you tell us a little bit about what it was like growing up with your brother? What are some of the ways that you mentioned that your parents, the way your parents treated you guys kind of made you not be very close. What were some of the things that happened when you were a kid? Well, I was always the good one. Um, I loved to be sent to my room because I, I would read constantly. I had um, a large bookshelf, tons of books. The librarians knew me no matter whether it was school or city. <laughs> so that was my getaway. Um, so I was always good. My brother, on the other hand, he, um, he was diagnosed with ADHD at one point before it was, you know, a super common diagnosis. So it took a lot for them to get to that point, but he was very hyperactive. He was a, what you would call a bad kid, but I really don't think he was bad per se. I think he just didn't have the right outlet and he didn't get the attention he needed. Um, Cause we really didn't have the attention we probably craved. My father was a, is a truck driver and mm. he did work really hard family and he did, he, he was definitely a hard worker. He always had multiple jobs. He made sure we had food to eat, you know, the roof over our head, the whole proverbial trifecta. Um, but he wasn't around. I um, mean, when he was around, he wasn't there. Um, so he watched TV. He lost himself in TV. Um, like, um, he was also very controlling. So, for instance, over the dinner table, we weren't allowed to talk. We just watched the news. And if we got, if we talked, we didn't, you know, get in trouble. And there are various forms of punishment, everything from a handmade paddle to belts and, you know, backhands and things like that. So we lived in constant fear of my father. And it's not a good way to, as a, as a female growing up and going through adolescence to constantly fear the only male figure in your family. Um, it definitely sets you up for failure in the future with other men. Um, and my mom, on the other hand, so I've been in therapy. This is so weird to talk about this out loud. Um, so I've been in therapy for a really long time, ever Me since too. college. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and for a lot of the, my mom was more of the emotional abuse side. She's very, she likes her guilt trips. Um, we actually aren't really speaking right now um, because of the situation last Christmas. Um, she, basically, she threw a tantrum over something my brother and I pitched in to buy her. And it, it wasn't what she wanted, apparently, which I, I, I to this day, I'm not sure what happened. So, um, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm like, so, you're telling, telling this and I'm like, oh, yes, this is my life, too. <laughs> like, you know, adult I, women who should be grown and not act like children, but they do. Yeah. And, and side comment, the more I talk about it, the more I realize I'm not unique. And that's actually, I think it's more upsetting than being unique, I think, yeah. because I don't want to, I don't want to connect with anyone else and have them go through the same thing. I, I think it's anyway. So, um, <laughs> we all wish that we so, had those. I mean, with me, I'm kind of the same way. I'm like, I wish that when I talk to people and I hear these similarities and stories with growing up that I, I'm like, why can't we just have like 
normal, I put that in quotation marks, parents, like parents that love and don't like use verbal, emotional, psychological abuse against us, even physical abuse. Like, why can't we just have that? But then you find out a lot of people didn't. Mm-mm. Normal isn't normal, we realize. Right. It, it's, it's actually the, the, the minority of the experiences. And that, that's heartbreaking because you, you spend all this time as an adolescent wishing it could be better, wishing it could be different. And then um, you realize that it's that way for other people. There's other kids your age around the globe saying, I wish it could be different. I wish I could be better. And that's heartbreaking. <laughs> but um, so over the years in therapy, I've had a couple different um, counselors and um, um, it's not psychiatrists. Psychologists. Psychologists. That's what I'm yeah. going to be when I grow up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you got plenty of time. We never grow up. Um, right. <laughs> I'm like, I got about seven more years before I'm done my PhD. So it's going to take a little while. <laughs> Um, I don't remember the exact term for it because I try not to think about it too much, but she was basically, um, everybody said that she was this specific type of personality that is the alcoholic without the alcohol. Mm. So she would do guilt trips and she would be sometimes physically abusive, but mostly verbally and emotionally abusive. Um, and it, it, it played off of my dad. Mm-hmm. So we had her, her place in the relationship where it was the abuse of pride, it would play off of him. And then, you know, then then when they get together, it was just explosive and they both enable each other. So, um, and it's, it's interesting because my brother and I, we didn't really ever think of our parents as abusive until there was this court case regarding a judge, I believe, who abused his disabled son and the, I think the wife was videotaping or maybe the, the child was videotaping it. I'm, I don't recall all of it. Um, and then it went viral because it was abusive. Um, and my brother and I viewed it and I viewed it first and I looked at it, I said, this was, this was our house. This was normal. Everything that the kid was going through, I wasn't feeling emotions about the child per se. It was triggering my memories. Mm-hmm. Um, so I sent it to my brother and he goes, Oh, that's not abuse. And he, he was kind of in denial about it. And we talked about it. We had some heated discussion, a couple drinks, the whole nine yards. And then we were like, oh, shit, this is abusive. <laughs> this right. is the reality. And you just don't know. And I feel like we lost so much time, not just as siblings, but as a family. And we were very much cut off from um, a social life. And my parents didn't really have too many friends. Mm-hmm. So it was just us in the house. And that's all we knew. And one of the things I did when I started going to college was discovering this whole new world to be cliche out there. Right. <laughs> you know, there, there are people out there that are nice and <laughs> they want to, I started going to other people's families dinners for the holidays. And I was like, Oh my God, you love each other. And <laughs> you share things. And it was completely different dialogue. And it was just so warm. And, and I finally started to get emotional about things. So I'd close, I'd shut down for most of my childhood and a lot of my youth. Um, so I started feeling emotions and that was, that was difficult because I had to go to um, therapy for that too. I was like, what do I do with these emotions? Right. And they're like, you have them, you have them and you allow them and you, you explore in them. And that was, it's taken me so many years to get to a point where I've been able to self-develop myself out of all of that. But there's hope for any of you out there. Right. <laughs> it's feels- really scary at first. <laughs> Like, what are these emotions? What do I do with all these things? I've been numb for so long. Where did this come from? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, definitely. 
Yeah. So, I mean, a lot, and I can see how that would definitely growing up. And I think that's part of the reason my sister and I also weren't the closest growing up was, I mean, at one point in time we were when we were really little, but then when, as we got older, that just divide just began to like grow and grow and grow. And now we've come back together and kind of in a way, because we can both understand what each other went through. And because our experiences were completely different, like we were brought yeah. up in the same household, but how we experienced it and, and it be, one, because we were treated differently and two, how we as individuals perceived it were, was really different that where I was like, you know, growing up, I was told that I was a mistake and that I shouldn't have been born and I ruined my mom's life. She couldn't go to college. And my sister for the longest time didn't believe that was said to me until like, literally a couple months ago, my mom said it to me and my, my sister was like, Oh, this is a real thing. Like you didn't make it up. I'm like, no, I'm 32. And 32 years later, she's still saying these things, but she didn't have that same thing. And so she was told growing up that my dad never wanted her and didn't believe she was his child. So we had two different, like, because of, the, of our experiences. And, and I think that a lot of that just continued to further divide us until now, like you and your brother as adults being come back together. And we're like, oh shit, like our <laughs> was like really messed up. Like, and we were constantly saying like, why can't our, our parents just be like semi-normal, like <laughs> semi-well-adjusted? Like we're not even asking for like fully well-adjusted at this point, like just semi-well-adjusted, like, because we just want, you know, as adults, you just want to enjoy your family. You want to be able to have holidays and all sorts of kind of things without a lot of stress and having to, like you said, like last Christmas you gave, you guys went in on a present for your mom and she lost it over a present. Like, why? why? (laughs) I I don't know about you, but I find it really difficult because I'm like, I've done a lot of work on myself. I've taken ownership of my shit and I've done all this work and, and you look at these people who are supposed to be people you can look up to because they're the, they're the adults in your life. And why can't they do the work? Why can't they do the work? Why can't they realize that there's that, that this is not okay? And yeah, and I completely agree. Um, so I've broached the subject before. I've tried to reconnect and pull back because it's, it's really at this point my sanity. Mm-hmm. And I, if you would have asked me to do this podcast maybe two years ago, I would not have a fear of retribution right. and fear. And, and it's all made up in my head based on habits that were developed as a child. Mm-hmm. Like I don't, I'm afraid to deal with the repercussions, but I'm an adult now. I have separated myself, you know, I have my own family to care about. Right. <laughs> no, I'm pregnant now. I don't need the extra stress. Um, so if, if they're willing to make the effort, then I'm here. Mm-hmm. Um, but if, if my mom continues to, say the same things and be the same way and only send holiday cards to my son at this point and not addressed to me, then that's her choice. She's making that choice. Yeah. Um, So do you and your brother feel the same way? Like, like, do you both treat your mom the same way? Cause I find it in my family, (laughs) my, my mom, my sister's different than I am. Like, she's like, yeah, whatever. I'll just go with it. And I'm just like, no, (laughs) this is okay. (laughs) So how are well, you brother handling this? We we always handle things differently, 
but that's what's nice because we can talk about it after the fact right. and we can we understand we understand where the other person's coming from we won't necessarily act that way mm-hmm. so I um I tended to put up with my mom and even my dad at the time which were estranged um he's starting to re- he's trying to reconnect but I just don't think it's the right time um mm-hmm. I tend to put up with it I used to talk to her on the ride home and you know for my commute and she would just drone on and on about all this negative stuff and everything in her life and how the world's ending and she has this health problem and it's the end of the world. Mind you, I work in healthcare. Right. <laughs> it's so far from the end of the world, but that's her perception. So I can't, I can't say anything otherwise because I'm not experiencing it through her eyes. Right. But I know from empirical evidence that there are people really suffering in healthcare in much worse situations. And my heart, you know, I go, goes out to them. Anyway, so my brother, however, doesn't put up with anything. Okay. And he just, he's more volatile, definitely more volatile than I am. I, I bottle it up sometimes and then explode, like Christmas. But he just goes off and he's like, you're, you know, he might say something like, you're just, why do you have to be so negative? You're driving your, your daughter away. You're missing out on your grandkids. And it doesn't change anything. So it doesn't matter what approach we take. She's constant. Right. She's consistent. Um, but as for the perspective thing, my brother did, he experienced so much more differently than I did because mm-hmm. that was the first go through. We were, we were only two kids. They only had two kids. Yeah. So I was the first, you know, I was the first kid. So they had, I have my experiences and my brother has his experiences. And then there's a good four years of experiences where I wasn't around. So my brother had all yeah. this stuff going on, things I don't even know about. Um, so I'll find about, out about things later on. Like oh that happened after I left? Are you are you kidding me? That's so bizarre. Mm-hmm. Or you know, because my grandfather passed during that time, and I guess things were crazy at the moment. And I don't know. It's just um, there's so many layers and there's so many details, and we it's hard for us to connect on anything other than emotions mm-hmm. and feelings from the time period because our stories are completely different. That's another thing my mom does is she she says one thing to me and so she says something different to my brother. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, it's, here. and it's it incites us in different ways so she knows which nerve to hit mm-hmm. so I'll call him mad because she'll get us mad at each other and I'll call him like why did you say that or why did you do that and, you know we're adults grown adults at this point even after we reconnected and he's like I didn't do that and I'm like well mom said you did and then we stop <laughs> and I'm like uh we, we both realize at the same time oh okay this is one of our things right. okay great so we're like we're cool everything's cool everything's great don't answer her call next time <laughs> So, so that's that's how we cope and you know we we do enjoy he enjoys beer and I enjoy wine so that also helps from time to right. time especially it actually helps us talk more mm-hmm. you know because um he has we have like a fire pit and all the houses that we're at so we'll get around have a couple beers or whatever and we get this hawking and that's therapeutic for us because we'll eventually start unloading and we found out so much about our experiences that were different Mm-hmm. but it also helps us acknowledge it and work through it. And I think it's probably not the healthiest way to do something, but it's what works for us right now. So I think there's a difference between having a couple of drinks and unloading and blacking out and unloading. Okay. There's a complete difference. I, there. Like, I would say that it's not unhealthy. If, I mean, especially if it's therapeutic for you guys to be able, and I do find when my sister and I sit down um, and we start opening up about our experiences and just without judgment of each other. Right. And not saying like, Oh, that's wrong. I was right there. And I didn't experience that. 
because we used to be like that. We used to be like, well, I was right there. That's not how that happened. But then we, ha- we have now gotten to the point where we sit back and we're like, that was your perception of this because of all the things you've been through, right? Because of all the experiences you perceived it this way. And I perceived it this way because of all my experiences. And even though it was mm-hmm. the same situation. And once we get talking about it, we're like, oh, okay, now I see, now I see. And I, I would still say we have a long way to go because like it, it's only been the last like two or three years that we've gotten really close and been open about stuff like that. But we sit there and we're both like scratching our heads. Like how, how are we both semi well adjusted? Like I, you do, do you ever wonder mm-hmm. that? Like, how are you semi well adjusted to become a heroin addict at one point in time? Cause that's what I wonder all the time, how I didn't become a heroin addict. <laughs> well, so uh, that was never my, I, there was enough drug use around me to not be interested in hard drugs. Um, so I did not choose that path. Um, what I did was I, you know, self-medicated with books and mm-hmm. focusing in school because I knew my ticket out was to go to college. Yeah. Um, and I, and we had no money. I, in 10th grade, I remember all the other kids in my school you know, we all were starting to talk to our parents about where we're going to go and how, you know, what we're going to do. And they all had plans for them, which I don't know if that was good or bad. But, you know, I came home and said, hey, I'm going to go to college. And my dad laughed. And he said, well, I hope you've been saving your pennies because we don't have anything that we can't pay for it. We've never saved anything. I just, it was just one more blow. And I'm like, we didn't, we didn't you guys didn't even think about that. And they just assumed I would be blue collar you know, which is, there's nothing wrong with anybody's blue collar. Don't get me wrong. Right. We, I always say we need people who are blue collar. I don't know how to fix my car. I need somebody <laughs> to do that for me. <laughs> well, my brother can do that for you. So, <laughs> <laughs> so um, I, I, back then, um, my, so my dad's a compulsive gambler and um, most, a lot of our money that we could have used as a family went to that. Uh, ironically, it went to, you know, the state lottery and the state lottery had a program for scholarships in Florida. At the time, I, I, got, I was in the sweet spot back in the day where if you, you know, checked off a few boxes and did some community service, and as long as you got a certain score on your SAT or ACT, you'd get a free ride to college, including books. And I was like, well, I might as well put that money I never saw to use. Right. <laughs> and I ended up becoming one of the recipients for a 100% scholarship. And I moved out. And went to from Tampa area to Orlando, so it wasn't too far away, but just far enough away where I didn't live at home. Yeah, so my dad lives in Mulberry, home. so I don't know if you know where Mulberry <laughs> is, but uh, yeah, so we're, it's about an hour south of Orlando. Oh, yeah. I've never been heard of. <laughs> and about an hour east of Tampa, so like it's right, right near them. It's uh, near Bartow, Lakeland, Plant City. Those are like the ones that surround Little Mulberry. So when you're talking, yeah, interesting. Yeah. My my brother now lives in um, Sefner, so okay, that's not too far from there. Yeah, far. Yeah, it's far from okay, here. Okay, go ahead with you because I'm like that's so small. It's just a small area. So you, you went from Tampa to Orlando. Yeah, and it was just far enough away, so I wasn't living at home. Because I knew if I lived at home, it would I would never get out. I, I would never really be out, and I had to make it work. So I had some car trouble. Actually, I'm going to go off on a tangent. Sorry here. So I had some car trouble. My car died and my dad came up to try and fix it and couldn't, which is bizarre because he can fix anything, Um, but it basically was the engine and um, like the block or whatever. So he found a car for me in Tampa for really cheap. It was like $3,500. 
and it was 10, I think it was eight years, 10 years old at the time. And they bought me the car and I was supposed to pay them back for it. Um, but because I was in college and I was responsible for my bills and actually had moved up with an ex-boyfriend at the time, which I ended up kicking out within a month and he had co-signed on the apartment. So that was a whole big mess. And he tried to run up my bills and use false checks. And so I got out of all that mess somehow. And then I had multiple jobs while I was going to college, my first semester out living on my own. And I made it through all that. But in the meantime, I did not pay them back for that car. Um, now, if <laughs> I knew that would be a problem later on. And then they said, don't worry about it. So fast forward to when I get married, I want to say maybe like five years after that, after I started college to my, my ex, my parents did not pitch in any money, not because they couldn't, but because they figured they bought me that car that one time. And that was their contribution to my wedding. So, <laughs> so that, that was fun um, to try and explain that to my in-laws, my ex-in-laws and be like, well, we're going to have to pay for the remaining stuff. <laughs> and this is why, because <laughs> they bought me a car back in college for 3,500 bucks. Um, and it still came up after that from time to time about that stupid car and I had that car for 10 years. I ran into the ground. It was like 150,000 miles. I had it still when I moved up here to Virginia and met my current husband. And it started to die. And he volunteered to drive it to the shipyard back and forth because he figured if it broke down, I wouldn't have to deal with it. He could deal with it. Yeah. So <laughs> bless his heart. He's the best. Um, but I held on to that $3,500 car forever. And it still wasn't enough you know, like right. figuratively. <laughs> yeah. Don't you hate that? I canceled my wedding to my ex, which was probably the smartest like decision I've ever made in my life. Okay. Um, now like seeing where he's at, no offense mm -hmm. to him. If he listens to my podcast, that's kind of creepy, but whatever. Um, you know, now seeing where he's at, I'm like, I made the best decision for me. I mean, cause one, it was a really toxic relationship to not marry him. I canceled my wedding three weeks before it was happened. It was supposed to happen. So the deposits were gone. Well, my dad had put a deposit down on the plate, like the place for the reception or the wedding or something. I don't remember. It was, it was like eight years ago, over eight years ago. And I'm telling you that man, I don't talk to him anymore. I mean, cause he, again, back to the parents, not healing. And like, at some point in time, you gotta say enough is enough, right? Like I'm not, I can't do this anymore. Keep doing the go round. Well, for years, like five, six years later, he was still bringing up the fact that he put a deposit down on the place oh my for my reception. But it's like 200 bucks. Okay. Like put, <laughs> put the deposit down and never got it back. Cause I canceled my wedding too close to when it was supposed to happen. I'm like, so I should have went through with the wedding and then you could, <laughs> I, I don't understand like what, what the logic here is like it's $200. Like it's not like they put like thousands of dollars down even then like right. still, but like it's like a couple hundred dollars here. Like it's <laughs> still for six years. Like you got to think like your parents paid $3,500 for a car, which is a steal for a car. Let's just be honest here. Like, especially if you ran it for 10 years, like that is a steal for 10 years. <laughs> and you're still going to bring it up like years later. That's not a lot of money in the long run. Like, come on. So, and it's funny, this actually relates to the different perspectives with my brother. Cause one day we were at a grocery store somewhere. I think we were probably in Florida and we were just randomly talking and he, <laughs> He had made a comment about how mom and dad never let things go. And I said, oh, you mean like, you know, my $3,500 car paid for my wedding? And he just stared at me with like this blank face. And he's like, what are you talking about? 
so I told him a story. He goes, are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> he goes, that is what I'm so, he's like, I'm so mad. And I, I wish I would have known at the time I would have tried to talk some sense in him. That makes absolutely no sense. And he goes, I'm so sorry that happened. I'm like, why are you sorry? You're not responsible for their actions. Right. You know, <laughs> all we can do is laugh about it now. Like, and I shrug and put my hands up. Like, I, I that's all we can do. Right. <laughs> I'm so, not crying anymore for it. <laughs> right. So how are you able, because um, our time's almost up now. So how are you able to now manage and cope with, the relationship you have with your or non-relationship you have with your parents, like you and your brother are now really close, which is, we've seen how that has really helped you guys. And maybe people listening who have a, um, you know, like a rocky relationship with their siblings, maybe it's time to like sit down and really hash things out and open up because that could, I mean, that's obviously been really helpful to you, but now how are you able to handle that relationship with your parents? What are you doing to make sure that this isn't something that's constantly affecting your emotional and mental health? I focus a lot on self-development. Um, I used to think that that was selfish um, until I realized that it's, it's selfish not to, especially for my children, you know, my, my future citizens, I call them. I stole that from <laughs> someone if you listen to the podcast ever. Um, <laughs> So I focus on myself first. And when I am, when I've read enough books and practiced enough leadership, you know, skills or, or talked about my husband enough and practice a little bit, you know, role playing discussions or whatever, then I will reach out to my mom at times and talk to her. It's kind of been just um, messages recently, less than phone calls, because I know that when I speak to her, I will have triggers. Mm-hmm. And I know it's like a bad word lately, but it's true. It is, that is what the word that describes what it is. And it's hard for me, still is, and I don't think it'll ever change. No matter how much I work on myself, I will still have those triggers. And I can't change her. They will always right. exist. So I, I space out my conversations with her until I am healthy enough mentally to manage the triggers. Mm-hmm. Because, like, I don't call her in the car anymore. It's not helpful. One day I'm going to get into a car wreck. <laughs> right. Just the emotions. As for my dad, that's, that's a tough, tough situation. He's, he's going to be remarried soon. And that, I don't know anything about her, but I know that she's a little off her rocker too. So I don't really want to speak to her per se. And my dad's never actually met his grandson. He, he, he wasn't at our wedding, you know, and, and that was choices he made because there was definitely an abusive divorce that happened between those two um which you would only expect based on their history together and how how codependent and enabling they were because when it finally burst it's ugly Mm -hmm. it's it's, it was ugly for years and he did some pretty horrible things and I refused to talk to him but he's trying to reconnect um I'll tell you if you ask in the future I'll tell you more about that but I don't have any news for him my brother interacts in a different way She's going down to their house for Christmas this year. Clearly not going to happen here. Right. <laughs> my sister right still yet. talks to my dad too, and I don't. So I'm just putting that out there. So that I understand that. <laughs> my, brother, my brother is reconnecting with my dad. And basically they're starting over. It's more like, look, I know things were crazy for a while when you got divorced with mom. But that's on you. And he, you know, they're starting to reconnect and, and figure out where they're coming from and maybe kind of work things out from the past, but mm-hmm. that's their relationship right now. And he has the freedom to do that. 
Yeah. I have some other pursuits. <laughs> right. No. And I, what I want people to really see here is we're adults. We have the right to set boundaries with our parents and whether that means we cut them off completely, because like you said, your parents aren't changing. So yes, you're going to be triggered by your mom. That's not surprising because you are going to be triggered by your mom because she's going to continue to do the same shit over and over and over and over again. Right. And until our parents can take ownership of the things they've done and heal those parts of themselves and do their own personal work, like we're, it, it, it would be silly of us to continue to put us in the situ ourselves in the situation to continue to get hurt over and over and over again. Like I didn't talk to my mom for a year because of all the things. And I wrote her a letter because my husband's like, don't call her. Cause if you tell her over the phone, she's going to twist it. But if you write it in a letter, there's no, it's plain, it's black and white. Like you can see and things went well for a while, but now they've backslide. They continue to backslide because my mom does not do the work on her own. Like she continues to bring up things that happened 32 years ago. And mm -hmm. I'm like, you got to let it go. Like at this point in time, you can't go back and change the past. Like you just can't. But when my point being is like, what I want people to focus on when we're talking about this and, and you said about triggering, it's not surprising that you're triggered by your mom because she continues to be the same person and doesn't change or do the work. So when we're having these relationships, we have to decide what is best for our mental and emotional health. And if we've mm -hmm. already stated these are the issues and they can't own up, own up to it and actually change, then there's nothing mm -hmm. we can do but say, you know what, I hope you the very best for your life but this is what I have to do that that's best for me and my family. Because at this point in time, we're the adults. <laughs> like at this point in time, we got to save our kids from experience that hurt. Cause who knows, like they're hurting us. Who's to say later on down the road, they may not start like hurting our children and maybe not physically, but verbally and emotionally as well. Like we have to put a stop to that and say no. So as we wrap up the podcast, Heather, is there anything that you would like to leave the audience with or anything we haven't covered yet or anything just to wrap it up in a nice, pretty bow? <laughs> well, I guess, um, I guess what I can say is that if you're experiencing the kind of situation I grew up in or my brother grew up in, since it's a different perspective, it's important to know that it may be different for you than it is for someone else. It's not completely irreconcilable but you can't keep giving and giving if the other party won't give back. Mm -hmm. You can be as open-minded and receptive as Gandhi. I don't know. And like, <laughs> it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because the other person isn't at that level of enlightenment. I'm not saying I'm enlightened by any means, but I, you're working <laughs> on it. I'm working. You're always, you never are. You're always working on it. That's, that's the joke, right? The biggest joke. Um, so, <laughs> and they aren't. And it's the, and the more you work on yourself, the more frustrating it becomes to interact with the other person, especially if they refuse to change or if they only change temporarily, mm -hmm. then it's shame on you, right? Or whatever that adage uh, is. Um, but there's always, there's, you can always try and don't beat yourself up if it doesn't work out. And sometimes things will happen. Like you'll reconnect, you know, with your brother randomly, <laughs> and then you, you actually formed a better bond than what you had in the past or what you thought you could have had. So I guess be open, but don't let it shut you down. Mm -hmm. I love that. That's, a, that's the perfect way to end with everything. <laughs> and I know that I know so many people out there that listen to the podcast struggle with these really rocky relationships with their families. And we have to realize is we can build a family outside of that. 
like we can build an amazing tribe of friends that like support us and are there for us. Like family doesn't actually always mean blood. Like it can mean so many other things. So we just have to take ownership of our, our own actions, our reactions, our stuff and heal that and, and move on. And people either come with us or they stay where they are. And we can just say, I hope that someday you will discover what I've discovered because it feels really good to not have to hold it onto all this baggage. Right. Um, so Heather, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and sharing your story. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of the inspired women podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, share this out with your friends and family and join us in the inspired women community on Facebook. I'll catch you next week.